I'm Dr. Nathaniel Chin, and you're listening to Dementia Matters, a podcast about Alzheimer's disease. Dementia Matters is a production of the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. Our goal is to educate listeners on the latest news in Alzheimer's disease research and caregiver strategies. Thanks for joining us. Hi, this is Dr. Nathaniel Chen. If you are a regular Dementia Matters listener, you know that since April, our episodes have focused on the very important topic of caregiving during a pandemic. The COVID-19 special series has ended, but I want to remind you that the pandemic has not. Between regular episodes about Alzheimer's disease research and prevention education, I will offer special topics and bonus episodes pertaining to the pandemic when updates feel necessary. As always, please email us at dementiamatters at medicine.wisc.edu with your questions, topic suggestions, and comments. Today's episode was recorded back in February. Since then, our guest, Jack Hunt, hit an important career milestone in his medical training. In April, he defended his thesis to earn his PhD in cellular and molecular biology. This summer, Dr. Hunt will return to medical school to finish his MD training and will later go on to a residency program in psychiatry. As a research assistant at the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center, Dr. Hunt studied the links between neighborhoods and brain structure and aging. He was lead author on a paper that was published in JAMA Neurology that showed that disadvantage in our neighborhoods is linked to brain structures involved in memory function. I hope you enjoy this episode. Jack, welcome to Dementia Matters. Thank you so much for having me. Now your paper titled Association of Neighborhood Level Disadvantage with Cerebral and Hippocampal Volume examined correlations between where people live and trends in their brains. Before you talk to us about the results, tell us what you were looking at specifically and why this is important in Alzheimer's disease research. Sure, so in this study, we were really interested in looking at how the context that we live in is related to um, our brain structures as we age. Um, So in particular, we're looking at how um, your neighborhood social and economic environment relates to your brain structure um, using neuroimaging both kind of globally and then specifically in areas of the brain that are involved in learning and memory and are uh, affected in uh, things like Alzheimer's disease. So the ultimate goal is really to try to identify uh, new risk markers and risk factors for dementia. So knowing some of these risk factors will um, really help us to be able to um, come up with new strategies for um, fighting dementia and um, preventing it, hopefully. Now you use the word context of the neighborhood. Can you explain that? What does that mean? Sure. Yeah, so um, we can think of, you know, a neighborhood as um, both uh, the people and also kind of the physical, um, the physical environment around um, where you live. So the context is really about um, several different things. So there's the physical context. So Things like, you know, are there street lights that are functioning? Are there roads? Are there grocery stores? Um, there's things like the social context. So, um, you know, are there people around that are providing social support? Um, are there a lot of abandoned houses and buildings? So you're not having that same level of connectedness. Um, and there's also the economic context. So are there, you know, good paying jobs available? Um, things like that. So there's a lot more to it than just your zip code. Exactly, certainly. 
And so what did your research uncover? Well, so our main findings were that um, participants from very highly disadvantaged neighborhoods um, actually had smaller hippocampal volumes, so about 4% lower um, than participants from the more advantaged neighborhoods. Um, so this was equivalent to about four to seven extra years of brain aging. So we know that as we age, our brains will shrink a little bit, um, just as kind of the normal course of aging. Um, but the amount uh, of difference in the brain volumes was about um, equal to about four to seven years of aging. So accelerated brain aging? Well, so this was um, just a snapshot of people's brains. So um, this was just one point in time. So from this study, we can't say that it was necessarily accelerated. We just know that there was a difference. And so what do you mean by most disadvantaged? Yeah, so um, to kind of measure disadvantage in this study, um, we used what's um, known as the area deprivation index. Um, so this is basically a composite. So it, it uh, measures several aspects of, of a neighborhood, including kind of the, the average income in that area, housing conditions, um, average educational level, that kind of thing. And then we take that um, area deprivation index and we compare it um, across either the United States or across um, all of the, the uh, neighborhoods within a state, which is what we did in this study. Mm. And so who were the people specifically that you studied? Yeah, so this uh, study was um, composed of participants from two um, studies, uh, the Wisconsin Registry for Alzheimer's Prevention and the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease uh, Research Center Clinical Cohort. And um, everyone in this study uh, were actually cognitively unimpaired, so they didn't have any signs of dementia or um, cognitive impairment. And you refer to that hippocampal area of the brain in your results. Can you explain to us why you looked at this area and what actually is this area? Sure. So the hippocampus um, is a part of your brain um, that is very high, uh, much involved in learning and memory processes. So um, we also know that um, it um, starts to shrink early in the Alzheimer's disease process. So we're particularly interested in this um, area of the brain because we know that it's really important um, for memory and um, then loss of memory in um, conditions like Alzheimer's disease. And so when you think about this 4% reduced hippocampal volume, what does that mean for our audience members listening? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So um, one of the, the follow-up questions to this study was, you know, does this change in hippocampal volume actually translate to, um, to cognitive functioning? So um, that was one of our follow-up questions that we didn't look at in this study. Um, but we can think of it as, uh, you know, an indication that people might be at a little bit higher risk. If their hippocampi are um, smaller to begin with, this might uh, mean that it takes less to kind of push them over the edge into um, starting to lose some of their memory processes. And you're also, in essence, looking at bigger variables, neighborhood variables, policy-related variables that could be affecting our thinking. And so people could look at that and say, well, I'm going to make adjustments. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that um, you know is one of the kind of exciting things about this study. I think is that it really ties together um, a lot of different levels of thinking about you know our health policies, um, our economic systems, and then down to our biology and what might put us at risk for um, for dementia. Um, so I think it it you know provides some some interesting opportunities to start to think about those questions. Now, in addition to that area deprivation index that you just explained, you also looked at cardiovascular disease factors. And I think that's an important thing in your study. Can you mm -hmm. explain to our audience why you looked at those and which specific factors you included? Sure. Yeah, so uh, we wanted to look at cardiovascular factors um, because we, we know that these um, factors are also related to, um, to neighborhoods where we live. So. Um, there's been previous research showing that um, high levels of, um, of neighborhood disadvantage are also associated with cardiovascular um, risk factors. Um, and we thought that, you know, maybe some of these risk factors could also be at play in, um, in determining uh, a person's brain structure. Um, so it's kind of interesting to think about links between the neighborhood, cardiovascular risk, and um, and neurodegeneration or, or loss, of, um, loss of brain structure. You also looked at, when thinking about cardiovascular risk, things like smoking and high blood pressure, mm -hmm. and in essence controlled for that, saying that your results meant that despite those things, it really wasn't due to that, it was due to the neighborhood. Right, uh, yeah, so we, we both thought about controlling for those factors, but then we also thought of it um, in terms of looking to see if those factors were um, kind of along the same pathway. So actually, can we draw a line between neighborhoods, um, cardiovascular risk factors um, into the brain? And you can, you know, you can think about some ways that those things might be related. So um, things like, you know, access to grocery stores and healthy food options, access to um, the ability to get exercise, which we know is also related to, um, to our brain structure. Um, there's a lot of overlap there. And again, with this area deprivation index, can people in the community type in their zip code somewhere and see what their score would be? Yeah, um, so actually the area deprivation index um, through uh, a research team at University of Wisconsin um, led by Dr. Amy Kind um, has made the area deprivation index available um, publicly. So it's it's called the Neighborhood Atlas, and um, you can you can look it up online and see it, the level of um, of relative disadvantage in in a certain area. Uh, and we're going to have that link on our website for those that are listening, so that you can click and look at yours. I think one of the important things to note, though, is it is a full spectrum when we talk about advantage and disadvantage. Mm -hmm. And I believe there's up to 10 different options or levels of mm -hmm. disadvantage. Yeah. Would you say that Wisconsin has all 10 within our state alone? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, you know, really have a full range of, um, of levels of disadvantage. If you look compared to the um, entire United States, Wisconsin tends to be a little bit um, more advantaged um, just overall, but we still do have a range within the state. And it's kind of interesting to look at both uh, more rural areas and more um, urban areas 
because um, we have also a range in, in both rural and, and urban areas. It's not um, confined to one versus the other. And your study examined research participants in their current neighborhoods, so not necessarily where they grew up or lived between their childhood and adulthood. So is historical neighborhood data available for different periods of time throughout their time in the United States? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question and one that um, Dr. Kine's team is, is actively working on. Um, so for this study, it was just looking at their current address. So these were, um, you know, uh, middle-aged um, participants. The average age was about 64. And um, But I think it, it will be really interesting to go back and look kind of historically to see if, um, if uh, neighborhood disadvantage at different um, times in your life might be also um, impact your, your brain health. When we speak of a person's life course and the things that happen to them from birth until death and how that affects your brain, it seems like you've opened a door to a very interesting research question. Yeah, I hope so. I hope that you know researchers can take this, um, this study and, and build on it and start to look at some of those historical factors. We know that, um, that you know, health and uh, dementia risk doesn't just happen in older age, it really happens along the entire life. So it will be important to look at that too. Now, one of the key conclusions you report in your paper is that there is an association between brain size during aging and the community socioeconomic level. Now, this is different than an individual's personal socioeconomic status. So why do you think this is important? Yeah, I think it's a it's a really important distinction and um, really important to think about. So in this study, uh, we controlled for an individual's educational level, which um, is a really kind of good indicator of of their personal um, their personal socioeconomic status. Um, and we found that both the neighborhood level factor and the individual level education separately um, were associated with brain structure. So I think it's important to to tart, start to tease apart some of these um, some of these differences between levels of factors, so that we can really think about what would be potentially the most effective intervention strategies or prevention strategies. So something that works at the neighborhood level and individual level, they might have really different approaches. And you did mention education level because that was a possible mechanism for this relationship between the neighborhood and brain size. But you found something interesting. Can you explain that? Sure. So we found that even controlling for an individual's educational level, that neighborhood disadvantage still was associated with um, brain structure, with hippocampal volume and um, global brain volume. So there's something more than just the education level. Right, exactly. And the same can be said about those cardiovascular diseases that we talked about. Right, exactly. So while these are important, especially at the personal level, there is something beyond that when we look at a neighborhood's health. Yeah, exactly. So this is a really tough question, and I know you won't have an exact answer, but I want you to speculate for us. What do you think are the possible reasons for this relationship between where you live and the size of your brain? Yeah, I think this is, you know, the the heart of of this uh, of this research is really trying to understand this uh, this pathway between the neighborhood and your brain. I mean, it's a kind of a long distance between uh, between our neighborhoods and um, and the cells in our heads. Um, but uh, I think there's a lot of interesting possibilities. So 
ones that we've already looked at were things like cardiovascular risk factors. Um, so things in the neighborhood that could affect these, um, again, are would be things like access to food, access to um, recreational or exercise opportunities. Um, other possibilities that we are interested in looking at in the future are things like um, exposure to chronic stress. So we know that, um, unfortunately, uh, the socioeconomic um, advantage of an area also impacts the crime rate. Um, so if people are exposed to uh, what they feel are more dangerous living environments, they might be exposed to chronic stress, which we know also affects the hippocampus, those um, parts of the brain involved with memory. So those are some possibilities, um, but there's a lot of other interesting things to look at, environmental toxins, all sorts of things. I'm glad you just mentioned that because I was gonna ask if there is this opportunity to overlay maps. You have this area deprivation index and then you have state and federal maps about environmental toxins and seeing if there's a possible relationship. Yeah, I think this will be a, a really interesting um, thing to follow up on. There's a lot of publicly available data um, using mapping technology to look at things like air quality, water quality, um, even you know looking at how many grocery stores are in a given area, that kind of thing. And there's a lot of really cool opportunities to combine that with um, something like the Area Deprivation Index to you know, both help researchers to understand these processes, but also to help policymakers, um, help community organizers, all sorts of th uh, all sorts of people to um, to tackle this complex problem. So then, let's rewind from this these future projects to now. What can people out in the community do with this information? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I think that um, one thing that we're hoping is that um, this study can can start to raise awareness. So um, clinicians, um, family members, uh, community leaders can um, start to consider this when they're thinking about older uh, people in their communities. So they might actually be at a little higher risk um, for, for developing dementia down the road or cognitive changes. So um, just to be able to pay closer attention and keep an eye on these individuals and try to figure out ways to help them. And what are your next steps after this publication? Uh, one of the kind of immediate next steps is to um, do a follow-up study. Um, so in this first study, we looked at a snapshot of people's brains, looking at um, structure at a, single, at a single time and finding a difference based on neighborhood disadvantage. Um, but what we really need to know is, um, is neighborhood disadvantage a risk marker of um, neurodegeneration, so of loss of brain structure as we age. So that's um, part of the follow-up study that I'm, um, that I'm currently working on to see if we actually lose brain, uh, brain structure um, in those memory-related areas um, as a result um, of neighborhood disadvantage. So to see if we actually, um, there's an association between loss of um, brain structure in those memory related areas and neighborhood disadvantage. And then also to see if there are um, cognitive changes that go along with those, um, those structural changes. So um, using cognitive testing to see if people actually are declining um, in their cognitive function um, associated with the neighborhood disadvantage as well. I'm going to end this interview by asking you a question I ask a lot of my guests. 
which is that sometimes there are things we cannot control. For instance, not everyone can control where they live, but we can control what we do during the day. Mm -hmm. And I want to know from you, as someone who researches both macro, looking at neighborhoods, but also looks at the brain, what is something that you do to protect your brain and age in the best way possible? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I think probably the the thing that I try to do um, to help my brain age is to um, eat healthily. Um, I try to cook as much as possible, um, vegetables, uh, whole grains, all that kind of thing. Because um, I think that, you know, both for thinking about aging, but just for how I feel on a day-to-day -day basis, um, I feel usually a lot better when I'm um, eating healthfully. So that's what I try to do. <laughs> All right, with that, thank you again, Jack, for being on Dementia Matters. Thank you. Please subscribe to Dementia Matters on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. And rate us on your favorite podcast app. It helps other people find our show and lets us know how we're doing. Dementia Matters is brought to you by the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. The Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center combines academic, clinical, and research expertise from the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health and the Geriatric Research Education and Clinical Center of the William S. Middleton Memorial Veterans Hospital in Madison, Wisconsin. It receives funding from private university, state, and national sources, including a grant from the National Institutes of Health for Alzheimer's Disease Centers. This episode was produced by Rebecca Wazaleski and edited by Bashir Adin. Our musical jingle is Cases to Rest by Blue Dot Sessions. Check out our website at adrc.wisc.edu. That's adrc.wisc.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. If you have any questions or comments, email us at dementiamatters at medicine.wisc.edu. Thanks for listening.